This is what it's about. International Rugby League is back. History being made. Tonga having made great strides are the first Pacific and Tier 2 nation to tour these shores. England have some meaningful test fixtures and a chance 12 months on to move on forward after their World Cup disappointment. crazy scenes there from St. Helens overnight or this morning, I should say, Australian time or or, uh, yesterday, English time. Uh, Well done to England getting the win uh, over Tonga, 22 to 18, I believe. But, um, gee, it was a close fall game. It could have gone either way. And I think Tonga will learn from that game as well. Uh, So really, really good to see um, England with some genuine competition there um, because they're going to need it if they're going to stay competitive with some of these um, Southern Hemisphere juggernauts. But um, before we get to that, uh, welcome to another episode of Rugby League Therapy, everyone. Uh, I believe we're um, really starting to pick up with the viewership numbers, which is good to see. I think uh, Lou and I have always taken the point of view that, you know, we're going to talk footy pretty much, you know, every week anyway. So if anyone wants to listen, that's just an added bonus for us. So thank you for anyone out there that does listen. And um, as always, we're brought to you by the the people at everythingrugbyleague.com who have been you know, uh, shining lights on some of the more obscure areas of rugby league um, for about 10 years now. Um, and we are obviously in the heart of that season, uh, you know, if, if we're talking sort of Papua New Guinea and Cook Islands and, and teams like that. Um, but over to um, my co-host, Lou, who we sorely missed um, on Thursday, but big thank you to um, to Will from This Warrior's Life. But Lou, how have you been the past week? You been watching any footy? Yeah, man. Uh Good to be back. The, I did actually watch a ton of footy the week before Super League Grand Final and the Australia Samoa game. So it's kind of 
a bit frustrating that those two games were not really competitive and then we roll into this week with another huge lopsided score the england game obviously a bit more tight fortunately didn't get get a chance to watch it shout out to my niece it was her birthday so it was there instead um but yeah it was a unfortunately i mean we'll touch on it a little bit when we go through the games but it just shows i think some some genuine halves of the difference between yeah good good and bad international teams yeah good call i i fully agree with that uh, synopsis as well um one of the things that um that we spoke about will and i spoke about uh in, in thursday's uh episode of rugby league therapy and anyone that hasn't had a chance to listen i encourage you to go back um to that one because it's a really really solid session um we spoke about we spoke about of the four main nrl expansion bids that are you know realistic um which ones would you want to see happen what are the pros and cons for each so i'm very very keen to get your thoughts on it um, so just to recap the four there are Brisbane East, who would come in as the Firehawks. Um, they lost out to the Redcliffe Dolphins. They're back. Uh, they're run by um, Shane Richardson. They obviously used to run Sassini Rabbitohs. Um, we've got the Christchurch NRL bid, um, who the finances, no one really knows where it would come from, but they've got a lot going for them in terms of player pool, brand new stadium on the way, et cetera. Uh, we've got Perth, um, who I know you've been a fan of for a while now. Um, and that is uh, actually backed by the Western Australian government um, in, in many ways um, as well. Um, and the last one, which is uh, the reason this topic sort of uh, was accelerated um, for the podcast last week because, uh, was because Michelle Bishop, um, who's obviously an NRL reporter, um, she sort of, you know, spread spread the news that um, Papua New Guinea had already been given the green light to become the 18th team. And since then, Andrew Hill, who um, runs the PNG bid, is has denied that and said that, you know, they haven't been given the green light formally yet. Um, so let's start with um, let's start with Brisbane East. So we'll try and remember the same order we went in last week. Brisbane East coming in as the Firehawks. Give us the pros and cons and give us a desirability rating that you'd want to see them become the 18th team out of 10. Just very quickly, I guess, with Brisbane, it's still... What, what is it now two team city so there's no there's no downside to diluting that further we just saw brisbane make the grand final they've got a ton of talent their pool is enormous for players juniors so the opportunities the pathways i mean we really have to look at our rugby union cousins to know that their pathways are non-existent so to have more uh professional teams professional setups obviously is the big draw um in addition to obviously queensland loves their footy so so long as you don't oversaturate the market the way that sydney has that's probably the biggest pro for me the con is we've just had the red cliff dolphins come in and whether they need time to you know gather their own fan base in terms of okay yes they've got their red cliff fans but then trying to gain overall fans try and obviously there's newcomers into queensland and so forth i think that's probably trying to bring in one too many queensland teams out in one go is probably the biggest downside what was the conclusion on your end uh i for me personally i gave it a two i think it's a i think the strength that i could give them was that the juniors the come in with some of the strongest juniors of any bid um straight away they'll probably be competitive 
of the of the teams of the other of the four teams that we're talking about, I think that they would stand the chance of being short term competitive by a country mile compared to the other three. Um, but the reality is, it's not growth in my mind. It, it might be growth in the size of the competition, but it's not growth into new markets, and you're still confining the NRL largely to the eastern seaboard of Australia. So, I gave it a two out of ten. Um, what do you give it though? Yeah, so I'll probably give that a one in terms of law of diminishing returns. We're probably going to start hitting that in Queensland. Obviously, it's a big state, but uh, to to literally place it in the heart of Brisbane, I think I think there's been huge calls for a long time to add more teams in in Brisbane, and you know, another another interesting point is Brisbane when they re-sign Ezra Mam and Reese Walsh and and all these other youngsters to you know, minuscule contracts, it's going to be clear that the third party deals are still alive and kicking in a good way um, in Brisbane. And that's why it's always good to have another team there because we can keep that talent in rugby league. That's always an underrated quality, you know, you don't, unless they've, unless they've reached the pinnacle, but you know, you want to keep the Carmichael Hunts, the Falaus, anyone that really wants to go play rugby um, for more money, like rugby union for more money, say in Europe, they can stay in Brisbane and just, you know, use the off season to travel. So I'd, I'd give it a one from my personal selfish standpoint, but I can see why people are pushing for it. Don't get us wrong. It's, it's an ideal situation. If there's money there, there's money to be made and a hundred percent, the talent, when you see the Queensland cup, it doesn't make any sense that there's so many strong Queensland cup teams with Queensland cup talent. That they don't get a crack at the big time, at least from a depth perspective. Love that strong one. Tell us what you really think. Love it. Uh, all right, let's move on to the second one. At the risk of going over, um, uh, you know, old ground. Uh, I think uh, Perth was the next one that we discussed. Um, thoughts on Perth pros, cons, and uh, desirability ranking. Ken, um, I mean, we've, Ooh, we've both been big Perth fans um and you know a port money where my mouth is i would 100 percent jump on that to be a member and so yeah i think from a pros perspective like this is the national rugby league national that's the key word perth is essentially hogging that entire side of the country um if you put a team there now the cons are it has been out there in the past, debatable as to whether it was a success. The numbers say, yes, it wasn't an outright failure, but, you know, the league culled it for whatever reason and um, only they know the reason for that. But the rugby, rugby league, as political as it is, also knows that if there were fans out there that wanted it, then they would bring it out there. So there's, it is the, probably the, high risk high reward option it's probably in terms of let's say investments the brisbane um the brisbane east route is your you know your run-of-the-mill cash savings uh, savings accounts they'll give you about five percent right now based on where you are i know in england they have about five percent interest rates and um your perf reds or western reds or whatever you want to call it is your classic crypto altcoin it's high risk, high reward, huge potential gains, but also could make you break. Love it. All right, move on to the next one, Christchurch. Uh, 
I'd give that a probably five. Pros are, I mean, obviously, again, New Zealand would be another great area to put league in. Uh, I think, though, and, and the Warriors have just shown they can capture the hearts of a nation. And why not have another team do that? I think the cons are still very heavy rugby union. And I'm not, to be honest, I really wouldn't know what the, the interests are. What did you guys land on with Christchurch? Yeah, Christchurch was actually my favourite. I gave it a 10. I think that the boost to the New Zealand or the Sky New Zealand deal uh, would be substantial, that it would fund itself um, to the tune of an additional $15 million per year, which is what the annual grant is from head office for every NRL club. Um, I think that the North Island versus South Island rivalry that it creates would, would turn New Zealand into a genuine rugby league country in my mind. Um, a brand new stadium on the way uh, with no other NRL tenant, um, whereas Brisbane East would share Suncorp uh, with two other teams. Um, Christchurch uh, will share it with the Crusaders um, Super Rugby side. Uh, but this is a beautiful looking stadium with a roof um, and it is New Zealand's second largest city. Uh, so I think that it's it, it would sort of, um, in my mind, um, round out the New Zealand venture in, in, in a clean way for me because uh, when the Warriors came in the competition, the Bartercard Cup, which is the local competition in New Zealand, was reasonably strong. Um, but when the Warriors came in, all of the talent went to the Warriors and it really decimated the Bartercard Cup. And since then, we haven't really seen a super strong domestic competition in New Zealand. So they've, they've sort of gone in there. We've gone in there as a, as a sport or a competition, taken basically take, 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 and we haven't really given back um, what we should in my mind whereas if you add a, a Christchurch team I think it's a cleaner solution for me and then you can just sort of move on to I think that two teams in New Zealand one of the North Island one on the South Island in the two biggest cities is a just an organic fit for me so I actually gave them a 10 as my most desired team any thoughts on that oh, some strong points I do I think that's similar to what I said about the Queensland Cup it's you know you've got a lot of talent there and just not professional pathways to um to essentially convert those that talent and having a second team in New Zealand of course you know guys who are playing semi-pro rugby you know you balance Tafares that those types will have a genuine pathway to come through um and also the TV deal don't really think of that good point yeah I'm actually probably I'll, I'll upgrade that to seven but again it's um the ideal situation is one thing i really have to respect the nrl on is the brisbane broncos are the glamour outfit and people were banging down the door for another team um you know the warriors track record no offense to them this year's been great but the previous years have been a bit iffy so like you know the, the skeptic in me thinks oh are we is it really ready for a second team but you know what? The only way we find out is through Darwinism and uh, natural selection. What do you reckon on that? Just let put all you know what put all four teams in, and let's see first to crumble. I know Dave Smith back in the day had that approach. Just let everyone do whatever they want, and then you know if if you fold, you fold. Yeah, there's a name I haven't heard mentioned in many many years. Dave Smith, the uh, the CEO that preceded David Gallup. With the business, all business acumen and no rugby league acumen. 
Um, I think Volandi's yeah. ground, perfect. People bag out Volandi's, but I think he's been he's been the best thing that the get that's happened to the game in almost my lifetime. Like I I rate him that highly. He's bullish. He gets people offside, but you know he's just a lover of rugby league and he's going to stand up for rugby league like a bulldog, and I love it. Um, all right, let's move on to the fourth one, Papua New Guinea, which is um, all but certain to get the licence uh, for the 18th team at least. Uh, thoughts on this one, desirability ranking? Me personally, I've not been blown away by a PNG Hunters team. Uh, I have read and listened to other podcasts about it, and I think it seems there is obviously other factors at play, um, which I don't think we need to go into necessarily because Politics isn't my strongest suit. Um, I mean, obviously, desirability is probably about the seven-ish as well, seven, eight-ish. In terms of pros, it's a whole country. It's regulate mad. There isn't any threat to anyone taking their talent um, and why not have a professional setup. Now, the cons are how many – I know I know it might be based in Cairns or – I think that's it. It's in, based in Cairns, but the problem will be – Let's see how many marquee players will would would, would really want to play for PNG, and yeah, that's that's probably my only con, really. But I mean, it's it's pretty much confirmed. I'd love to see them do great. Uh, whether they whether they're an on field success, I'm not so sure. All right, so there we have it. Uh, Lou's desirability rankings are one for Brisbane East. Uh, we've got seven for Christchurch, seven slash eight for Papua New Guinea, and a ten for Perth. Um, I would love to see Perth, Christchurch, and Papua New Guinea all come in by 2030 and have a 20 team conference, um, a 20 team competition, I should say. And um, to be honest with you, it is perfect for a conference, not in a way that completely separates them. I said this, I think I said this uh, fairly recently, but. I think there's there's exactly ten teams in New South Wales, um, so look, it's unfortunate for the Raiders, but ultimately they're in the ACT. They're not actually in New South Wales, um, so the ten teams in New South Wales can play each other for the first twenty rounds or so, um, in the same way. At the same time, that the ten teams not in New South Wales can play each other uh, for the first twenty rounds, play each other twice, I should say there, um, and then you come together. Uh, for the remaining however many rounds are in excess of 20. I'm a big fan of a 22-round competition, but it's probably not going to happen. Let's hypothetically say there's 26 rounds. So those other six rounds, um, you know, are sort of crossing conferences, and then we go into either top eight or top ten with teams, you know, like we currently do, just based on points. Um, I don't believe it's completely separating them where you have to make a conference conference finals you know, to have like Boston play Los Angeles in the NBA or something like that. I don't think that will work. Um, but I think that maximizing local derbies and, you know, having the two conferences in the first 20 rounds of a 20 team competition, that could really work for me. But um, anyway, that's what I'd, I'd love to see all three of those teams come in. And then we have genuine sort of credibility in, in terms of being the game of the Pacific, basically, in my mind. Um, I know that some rugby union fans would sort of think that. They've got claims to that. They've got a team in Fiji and, you know, Moana Pacifica, et cetera. But I think rugby league can be a genuine threat to that, if not surpass it. Um, I'm pretty bull- bullish on that. But anyway, we'll move on to our next subject. Uh, so let's just go over some of the uh, results from a fantastic weekend of um, international football. 
this is in the build-up to a big game, by the way, Australia versus New Zealand. Uh, so we had the Kiwis, who were way too strong uh, for Toa Samoa. They built them, beat them 50 nil, uh, which is an absolute drubbing. Fiji Bharti, 22 to 18, and a very, very close one. A late try to Junior uh, River. Uh, he won that one for Fiji, but they look very, very rusty. On the women's side, we had the Kiwi Ferns beating Matema Tonga, 28 to 10, and the PNG Orchards just beating Cook Islands, 28 to 20. Uh, this morning, Australia time, uh, we had Tonga beat England. Uh, sorry, England beat Tonga twenty-two to eighteen. Um, you would have heard some of the highlights for that in the intro to this episode. Um, Lou, any surprises there? Would you? I don't think sort of. I think the favourites won in every single one of those. But have you got any comments, score lines, or anything like that? Yeah, it's, it's like I said at the top of the show. It's disappointing that. Samoa have really struggled. Um, and I'll preface this the, the week before that the score line for Australia Samoa was not favorable at all to Samoa, but they did play their hearts out. Um, I think obviously it's, it's not common, it's not that uncommon knowledge right now. So, um, far longer fullback for Samoa has obviously been unearthed as the player of the future based on what we've seen. And, um, and we also know that Stephen Crichton cannot play six. At, at at any critical level of the game great probably the best center in the game but he just doesn't have he just looks so awkward at number six and it's really sad to see because he is so aggressive so cocky literally he's been he, it's been stripped of him his super has been stripped of him because he's playing number six right now um yeah obviously i mean there's no need to <laughs> deep dive with 50 nil loss too hard but um i see rugby league gurus really um going hard on matt timoko good to see because I, I mean i've been banging the table for timoko for years and yeah the he's, he's playing left center yeah he, he, could, he could be anything he he's um he was one of the the form centers in the comp this year and um i think with a bit bit more halves talent i think jerry moves and dylan, dylan brown Really, on a, really, really unlocking Timoko's potential, and hopefully, that that keeps going. Yeah, I mean, I think that the this the what's it called the highlight of the match was bloody Joey Manu running shirtless. I don't think we've ever seen that before. Um, yeah, it really, really random recap of the game. But unfortunately, when Samoa is turning up and not putting up a putting up a fight. It's 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 tough to watch, if I'm being honest. And Jerome Lua, shout out to him because I think he's. They did this happened to him in the World Cup. They got smashed early. They regathered and they played some amazing footy after that. And I feel like that's probably he's not obviously the only reason why they're losing. But yeah, and oh, and just a shout actually, I only got to highlights on top of the show. Couldn't couldn't watch the England game as it is on on Sunday afternoon. Had things to do. Um, Mikey Lewis, I'd never really seen him play before, but he looked electric. Yeah, a blinder. And a blinder. He, he looks good. Um, someone for the Raiders to to look out for because we, we need some halves. But, yeah, what about your – what are your thoughts? Yeah, I've been disappointed in, in Samoa as well. I just think that – I mean, well done to New Zealand. Michael Maguire, you know, he got them up big time. You know, you'd think that New Zealand have been playing together for a number of weeks now, but – reality is that it was Tonga that had the game 
against Australia leading into that. So I expected more cohesion from Tonga. I think you nailed on your head, uh, nailed it on the head when you said they're just missing Jerome Lewis so much. He's the conduit that plays the most vital part in you know distributing the ball to where it needs to be, building kick pressure, etc. And when he plays for Tonga, it's a real opportunity for him to actually step out of the sort of the, the shoes of, you know, oh, he's just a sort of backup for Nathan Cleary because we saw in the World Cup that he's actually more than that. Um, and I must admit that I was probably guilty to that chain of thought leading into last year's World Cup where I was like, yeah, he's nothing without Nathan Cleary. He wouldn't make State of Origin if he wasn't for that partnership with Nathan Cleary. And maybe that's true. Maybe he wouldn't make State of Origin if it wasn't for the partnership uh, with Nathan Cleary in the first place. Um uh, but in reality, when you see him play without Nathan Cleary, you realise just what a talent he is. Um, I know that he is a, is a, a divisive figure in terms of, you know, the, the swagger and everything like that, but I actually love that. Um, I just think the, the future's bright for Samoa. It's just come at a time where there's what happened to all those halves. At one stage, you know, Anthony Milford was in his prime and he was eligible to play for Samoa and you had um, Chanel Harris-DeVita, uh, Tyro, Tyron May, Tyron May, um, Jerome Luai. So it's just coming at a terrible time. And I can see that their coach, Ben Gardner, has come out today and said that two games just isn't enough. Uh, we'll now, and, and they'll now need to wait another 12 months until they play a game. Um, and I agree, two games a year is nowhere near enough. Um, so he's called for that mid-season uh, rep window to come back. And I would love to see that happen. I don't think it will happen. Um if it does, it'll have to be 2027 and beyond, which is still four years away because that's when the new TV deal starts. But um, uh, what it does do, though, it sets up a juicy um, clash with Australia coming up. And we'll talk about that um, to round out the, the podcast late, a bit later on. Um, but uh, great to see Fiji Barty uh, in action as well. They're missing a lot of stars themselves. Um, no Saifidi twins, no Kikau, no Api Korosau. Um, so I'd be sort of really keen to see how they go against Papua New Guinea because, geez, Cook Islands gave them a real scare. Uh, so well done to the Cook Islands there. Um, all right, as I said, well done to the Kiwi Ferns and the PNG Orchards, Orchards as well. I'd love to see the Kiwi Ferns actually play the PNG Orchards. Um, all right, let's move on to – I'm going to put you – I'm going to test your ability to think on the fly here. I'm just going to read through some um, rugby league news over the past week, which is predominantly – Quite frankly, it's not all uh, NRL related. Um, this this is from Buzz, who says in his gossip column, "The take it with a grain of salt." Which club made a serious play for ex Parramatta flyer Semi Radradra? What killed any prospect of the deal, though, was nearly nine a, ne- a nearly nine hundred thousand dollar transfer fee to buy the winger out of his current rugby union deal with Lyon. Um. Semi Rad Rad. I guess the club. No, no, well, I don't know the club. I mean, you can speculate towards the club, but um, I guess no club paying nine hundred grand to get Semi Rad Rad out of his contract, and it'd be pretty crazy to do it for a winger. Um, but would you be happy if the Raiders signed Semi Rad Rad? How much would he be worth in the NRL? Do you know what he? So, all right, shoot me. I've been watching the Rugby Union World Cup, and Semi Rad has played. I think he played inside centre against Wales and classically dropped the ball with no one in front of him, which was um, to lose the game for Fiji. He also played on the wing against England and was amazing. Like, he was unstoppable. And, you know, he got these union commentators very excited watching him touch the ball. Now, 
he is a draw. He's a great player. Whether the Raiders should even draw a player like that, probably not. So would the Raiders would I be okay with the Raiders paying nine hundred thousand? I'm sure if they had it as just cash lying around, then why not? Because I think the Raiders have spent so poorly in other areas. Um, don't know if you've watched him recently, but he's he's developed his ball skills a lot more that he probably could play closer to the rough, but again, rugby league halves organizing don't know if he's got that in him yeah i think maybe if he was younger he's 31 now he's a winger he could play close to the ruck as, as you said lou but 900 grand for transfer fee and transfer fees are pretty foreign in in the nrl as it is um yeah it's a no for me as well i'd hate to see the warriors play near a million bucks to get a winger out of their contract who would be rusty as anything uh playing rugby league uh, especially at age the age of 31. So it would be a, a terrible move in my mind. I'd love to see him come back to the NRL for a swan song, though. Um, that'd be really good, but certainly not anywhere near that cost. Uh, second piece of news, Andrew Webster, the uh, beautiful Warriors coach, has upgraded his co- uh, signed a contract extension. Uh, it was negotiated in just 48 hours without a manager and takes him through to the end of 2028. If he fulfills the contract, he will... Uh, equal Nathan Cleary, that's uh, Ivan Cleary's uh, record uh, reign of a Warriors team. Only the good news of this one, surely. You got any comments on that? Fantastic news for the Warriors. Um, he's obviously come out of nowhere in that you know the, the hot the hot coach was Geraldo, wasn't he? And Webster's clearly outperformed him on. Yeah, and no one no one expected this, and I guess you know, I would have absolutely been gutted for the Warriors had it turned out into another patent situation where you you want to have a good coach and then first thing is you want to go back to Australia so congrats to the Warriors congrats to Webby um long may you prosper I agree here here all right next one mystery surrounds Ryan Pappenhausen's link to Storm rivals so this is uh Denny Wide the column that seems to get louder and louder um news is that the Storm, despite denying it vehemently, um, have uh, sort of put their feelers out there to shop uh, Ryan Pappenhausen around there, uh, around to other clubs, I should say. Um, the question is not whether you believe it's true, um, whether or not you think that it's um, a wise move for the Storm. Oh, it's a good question. I did see this, actually, and I, this is one of the articles I really want to talk about. Um Look, Pappenhausen's been injured a lot recently, and I've got a lot of time for Papi. He's an excellent player, great role model. He he was a gun union prospect at an ISA school in Sydney, and he's stuck strong with um, league. Now, like of anything in the world, once another hot young prospect comes through, far longer we're talking about, can Pappenhausen keep him out of the side? I don't know. Uh, I actually, I think I even messaged Kabuisko off the back of Falonga's performance when he chip chased, regathered, and scored a great non uh, disallowed try. Um, yeah, Falonga should be the, the storm number one. I'd hate to see him play 14 next year. That would just stifle his play. He needs to be playing fullback. And if Pappenhausen. I think maybe Pappenhausen's future is 14 at Storm. If he's being shopped around to other clubs, um, again, you know, which clubs would, would 
would really bank their future because he's, he's a big coin is he'd be on bigger coin if he left the storm so yeah i think i think it it, it should be done but i i can see myself being quite wrong on this do you think pappenhausen's still got better footy ahead of him or is is are the injuries pretty much it for him Ah, oh, better footy probably not because he was at a he was at a very high level um but still very good quality football um most certainly one of the things that and maybe i'm thinking way too deeply into this one of the things that i wonder whether it's a factor at all um is the fact that fire longo is a genuine victorian junior um and melbourne are a club who have readily admitted over the past they've failed to develop their own players and they should be should have done better um i wonder if that's a factor at all he's just the fifth Genuine Victoria, uh, Victorians come through the Storm system and made their NRL debut. Um, put you on the spot. Can you name any others? Hey, I know one, Jake Webster. Nice. I think young Tonomapia, I think, as well. Yes, that's that's right. There's um what's the what's the winger? He's he's Tongan. Um he's got a nasty mullet. Uh Mark, uh not Mark Fanor. Is it Mahe Mahe Fanua? Fanua? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think, think he's so. one. I think he's a let me just quickly Google it. Sorry about that. It's my mouse falling on the floor. Um Mahe Fanua, I think. Who's who's do you know him off the top of your head? No, but Fanua, I'm pretty sure is correct. So who we got uh Mahe Fanua, young Tonomapeo, Jake Webster, uh fire longo of course so we must be missing just one which is a pretty good effort off the top of our heads i must say um anyway we'll move on from that article um i can understand it completely um unless puppy is prepared to take a pay cut he's on about rumored to be on about just shy of, of just over 700 grand per year at the moment uh if he can get you know that or more by going to another club then i think you should take it um but if he's going to stay with the melbourne storm given his injury record i think he's it has to be prepared to take a pay cut but i think the contract doesn't come up for a while um move on to the next piece of article so we can fly through these uh this one's just a snippet says new pecking order michael Maguire's likely elevation of new south wales blues coaching job and his desire to keep the new zealand gig will bring up a number of conflicts one of which was highlighted this week when he labelled Joey Manu potentially the game's best fullback. Uh, as it stands, Manu's Roosters teammate, James Tedesco, is the Blues captain and fullback. Uh, by declaring that if Manu was playing more time at fullback, he would be the best number one in the game, is sure to have an impact. Um, general thoughts on whether or not Michael Maguire can coach both Kiwis and the Blues? I don't think he can, if I'm being honest. And yeah. In some areas, do it. I think, you know, the, it just doesn't make any sense. And also, just on that comment, like I agree, Joey Manu should be playing fullback. I know Tedesco has been a great servant to the game, and he's accomplished everything. And you know, but everyone has their has their time when they need to pass the mantle on. And I think I'd I'd love to see Joey Manu play fullback. I I think we've I don't know how old Joey Manu is, but he hasn't fully reached his potential because he's not even playing in the right position, if I'm being honest. So, yeah, I think Teddy, and I also think because Michael Maguire is probably paving the way to essentially replace Tedesco, um, probably put either Turbo or the Trellet at the back. So, 
yeah, that's that's my thoughts. I I would I would be more than I'd be confused if I was a Kiwi or a New South Wales because I think there's 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 supposed to be pathways to be playing for Australia via these state of origin teams, and what Maguire's going to be shaping the kangaroo side if he wins Origin, and then he's going to coach against them. It doesn't really add up. Yeah, I kind of agree. And to my surprise, he's actually said if he has to choose one or the other, he will stick with the Kiwis because he wants to win a World Cup with the Kiwis. So I have a lot of respect for that because it's certainly less of a high-profile gig than the New South Wales gig. Um, Now, I'm not sure financially which one pays more, but uh, I think that uh, some stability at the helm with the Kiwis can only be a good thing for International League. Uh, The next one is Dogs Court Curran. So the Bulldogs recruitment drive is not over. Warriors forward Josh Curran met with the club on Saturday. He's the dynamic style of forward that Kevin Toronto wants. Good signing? Good for player, club? What do you think? I have to defer you on this one. Because I've always, whenever I've watched Josh Curran play, he goes hard. But, I mean, he's been, seems to always been discarded. With, uh, yeah. What was your thoughts? Yeah, he's, uh, he's all heart. Um, and when the Warriors were, uh, how was that? Uh, who am I to criticise, you know, Warriors during COVID, but they gave the, um, I guess, the image of of that, that they really deflated towards the back end of COVID, which is completely understandable. But Josh Curran, every single game was the one that you would never doubt that he's going 100 miles an hour. He was always putting in the guys all heart. And maybe that is what the Bulldogs need um, if they've got too many players that don't know what it takes to play, you know, in the regular grind of uh, NRL every week. So I just think, like, there's too many new players at the Bulldogs. That Rustar overhaul, I haven't seen anything like it in such a short stint. So eventually the merry-go-round's got to stop and you've got to stick with the squad that you've got and try and build it from there. So, yeah, I mean, good move, great player. I rate him very highly. He's been sort of overlooked in favour of Josh not Josh Curran, um, Jackson Ford, I should say, uh, in the second row position for the Warriors and Maratha Niakoto. Uh, but, yeah, it'd be a great signing um, for the Bulldogs. I just always a Warriors fan. I'd love to see us hold on to him. Um, all right, so this uh, next article, and I don't think we'll get through them all, so let's just do maybe uh, the sort of first half. Uh, this is an article in City Morning Herald that basically is the headline, Want to avoid a Panthers four-peat? Here's what your team needs to do over the summer. So obviously the implication there is if you know you want to see them challenge for a premiership. Um, and that's the great thing about the off-season. Every fan has hope um, that their team can do something. And if you don't have hope, just look at what the Warriors did last year. No one gave them hope. Even you and I had them in the bottom four easily when we did our season preview, and they they made a preview. I picked them top three, man. I think we need to rewind these tapes. <laughs> All right, so we'll start with the Premiers, uh, and it's obviously the Penrith Panthers. Number one is secure Jerome Luai's signature for 2025 and beyond. Number two is work out where Mitch Kenny, Taylor May, and Sunya Taruva fit into their plans. Number three, new stadium design and home ground contingency plans. Number four, sort out major sponsor. Number five, world club challenge itinerary. Can you think of anything else that the Panthers need to do? Besides those five things? No, I think the main one obviously is the Luai situation. I think people, and that you said that before with Luai, he's a divisive character, but to be honest, he's a great player. It's such a shame that people are not rating his abilities because of, you know, they might not like him on a personal level, even though they don't know him. Um, and I think 
Luai, when when he did get dropped, he was playing pretty well for the Panthers when Origin was on. Sorry, when he got dropped from Origin. So I think that's the key. And yeah, I mean, they've got guns coming through. They've got kids that, you know, I bet you, I bet you once Crichton's out of there, um, and whoever's replaced him, it'll be, yeah, it'll be, it'll just be. Oh, sorry. Oh. I, I saw him bloking about Adam Dewey might be going to Penrith. Now, Adam Dewey, to me, he's a good player, and I bet you if he joins, he will be the breakout player next year. So yeah, that would be probably good things yeah. can do. Um, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. What do Penrith need to do? Not a lot. I mean, it just shows that you need, at the bare minimum, the bulk of your team debuting with you to win and regularly challenge for a premiership. Now, I say debuting with you because we, you know, I think of Melbourne and the Roosters, who are two of the most successful clubs in in this millennium, really. Um, And they're not known for their junior development, uh, but the players ultimately debut with the club, uh, with Melbourne and the Roosters, whereas Penrith do develop them and they are all debuting with the Panthers. So you can't just go out like the Bulldogs are trying to do and just buy good players because it doesn't really work. Uh, we know that. So the players need to be coming through. You need to develop your own players, so to speak, um, or at least have them debut if they're not from your area. Um, all right, next one. Next one. Uh, so Georgia Laura Dragons. Now, I'll, I'll keep this for our season preview, which are, you know, still a couple of months away from doing in reality, but these things don't look good for the Dragons. Um, what they've got here for the things that they need to do to start challenging for wins, convince Ben Hunt that things will be different under Shane Flanagan. Uh, number two, Zach Lomax or Tyrell Sloan, who will play fullback. Number three, buy some forwards. Number four, win back the faithful. Uh, I'll just expand on that one. So Dragon fans have been disen- uh, disenchanted with the club over recent years. Ball performances have been compounded by a genuine disconnect between the team and its most staunch supporters. All right, so fans have lost faith. Bring back the faithful. Uh, and number five, uh, deal with the junior Amon fallout. So he's almost certainly um, facing jail time. Uh, any, I mean, where do you start? Is there a just oh, God. five things? You, you took so much heat for your wooden spoon pick too, and fast forward, they're actually even worse. You know what I mean? That's just how crazy <laughs> the situation is. Uh, just on Ben Hunt, I read he's he's actually committed to playing halfback for Shane Flanagan, which I complete surprise. I guess Flano put his foot down very heavily on that. Yeah. I mean, the Dragons, they need new players. They need juniors coming through. Can't remember the last good junior they've had coming through. And that's really a shame because that era is rugby league heavy. Um, yeah, I, I, I think probably that juniors, they, they need better juniors coming through. it, And they have talent there. But I guess the, there's something wrong with the, the way that they bring him through. Because you just said the best, the best teams have, quote, unquote, juniors debuting for them. Uh, who's yeah the ones that are debuting for them aren't really kicking on so it's it's hard to work out what's wrong with them but Flano's a good coach I'm sure he'll get him on a good um, program yeah yeah it's a I'm sorry to say Dragons it looks like it's a year you know a number of years in terms of the the rebuild um, and not you know 2024 is just too soon there's no one on the market it's Shane Flanagan's the man for the job. That's the best thing that that board has done in many years. But 
they're deep in a hole in my mind. Um, I, I hope I'm proven wrong. Actually, no, I don't hope that. I fucking hate the dragons, but um, that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, next one is the West Tigers. Uh, number one, decide on half bearing. <laughs> they got they got Aiden Caesar, Jaden Sullivan, so Bud Sullivan, uh, and Latu Finu are their halves options. So decide on two of them. Implement findings for from external review. Sort out boardroom squabble. Find some strike power in the outside backs and get Isaiah Papali'i firing. Uh, another one where you could just sit down all day and come up with 20 points, but are those the five main ones, in your opinion? Yeah, I think, let's be honest, this entire club, it could, you could start from ground zero. Any Anything could be improved. The, the catering probably could improve. Um, jersey designs could improve. When they brought out John Bateman to do Anzac, representation like what's john baton wearing an anzac jet like they have so much they can improve on that anything will be better now Latu Fina, yes he's meant to be a gun youngster but i can't recall the last gun junior turning a whole club around it's not going to work straight away so yeah it is yeah, they can... so jerim jerim buller was a shining light of last year so if Latu Fina can come good and jerim buller's back there and you know, Isaiah Papali can come good as is on this list, and no, suddenly follow, follow that. Pan- Sorry, I just would say follow that Panthers game blueprint where Nate Cleary did not walk into let's rescue this entire club. He walked in with James Maloney, Bryce Cartwright was on fire. They had James Fisher Harris coming through. They had all the pieces in place with extremely good talent. I know Appy Coruscant's there. Um, John Bateman, probably, but they just, they're a mess. And then you don't want to ruin a young player's confidence by putting him in that as well. You almost want to get them to not be playing bottom four footy and then unleash Faye now because he'll be flying. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like I just don't see, na- uh, uh, off the top of your head, name one player that's been able to turn around an entire club. What, Caleb Ponga, maybe? It's Even so it hard to single out one club, but yeah, uh, like one player, because when that one player starts to like kill it, there's others that start to be like, oh, didn't know that in them. For me, like, yeah, Caelan Ponga with the assistance of, of Jackson Hastings, uh, that's probably the closest. Those two players seem to drag Newcastle back up again. Uh, I'd say like Reese Walsh's impact on the Broncos. Um, although we know the origin players he has around him, but he seemed to like really drag the Broncos up when when he got back there after coming from the Warriors. But not uh, he has origin players around him. So yeah, I, I have to agree with the, the Newcastle synopsis. Caelan Ponga with the help of Jackson Hastings because you couldn't have you needed Jackson Hastings to to drag the uh, the team around the park and then create the space and the options for Caelan Ponga, whereas before he was just carrying it all on his one, all on his shoulders. So that's the closest I can come up with as well, to be honest. Uh, all right, some good good commentary around that. Uh, the fourth team, and we'll just do five. Uh, we'll come back to this next week. Fourth team is the Parramatta Eels, which is find a hooker, uh, keep or find a general manager, find an X-factor player, uh, minimise the inevitable noise around the coach, and find a backup half. So it's pretty scathing things that they need to do here for a team that was in the grand final uh, not that long ago. Um, are they 
fair things though? Yeah, the the Permit Eels, as much as they were, you know, heavily backed by making a grand final, the noise around them coming from my microphone was they weren't going to make the eight. And lo and behold, they didn't. I, I just don't think that <laughs> they've made some good decisions, especially things like they're trying to rem- I'd say there's there's one other one where there's always noise around certain players. Now, Gutherson, I don't know if you remember, but mid-year they were trying to get rid of him or trying to move him to center, and they wanted an X-Factor player, an X-Factor player who happened to be like Preston Campbell's son, Jaden Campbell. Do you remember that? And it's just there's all sorts of stuff going on in Paramount that doesn't make any sense. Now, let's look at the positives then. They've still got a great halves pairing, pretty good forward pack. I don't think Sean Lane played that much this year. I think Maddo will, will will come back. I think he missed the first four games. So they, they have they'll probably make the eight next year. So I don't I'm not too worried about them. They just have depth problems, really. I think that's the they must have way too much money tied up in Moses and Dylan Brown. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. If, geez, we'll, we'll cross this bridge very quickly. I don't know if I have them in my eight. Maybe. I mean, the strength of the halves is a, is a real, real strong point for Parramatta. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses, uh, a number of years playing together, real quality rep halves there. The front rowers, um, Campbell Gillard and, and Junior Paolo. So those four players give me hope, but Certainly don't have a top four, but anyway, we won't get distracted by that. Move on to the final team that we'll um, read through uh, for this episode anyway. We'll get to some more teams next week. Uh, Canterbury-Bakestown Bulldogs. Number one, decide if Stephen Crichton is a fullback or a centre. Number two, team bonding. So they've written with so many new faces joining the club. There'll be an emphasis on trying to unite an unfamiliar group. Number three, make a decision on Josh Adokar's future. Number four, stability at board level. And number five, Clear the poison. So just elaborate on that one. They've written uh, the Bulldogs have already moved on a number of players they deem to be a hindrance to their rebuild under Geraldo. It uh, won't take long to work out if there are any more problematic players in the ranks. So some pretty scathing uh, things to do, according to City Mon Herald there, about the Bulldogs. Are they fair? Is there any more you can think of? Thoughts on that one? I've, I picked the, the dogs to make the top eight last season, obviously. That was wrong. Now they've won the Harold Mats. I fairly said they won Jersey Flag as well. And Gus built a team in Penrith. It took him years to rebuild. He kept shuffling players in and out. Went from Soward to Maloney till he finally landed on Cleary. And my theory is he's going to do the exact same at the Dogs. It's just a matter of time. He's also signed Alex Conti, a very good young player. He goes to school with there. Harold Matz, halfback Mitch Woods, who was, I think he was player of the tournament uh, for Harold Matz and highly touted AFL prospect and union prospect as well. So the, they've got kids coming out of, of the, the not from the area, but they what we talked about before, where they're going to debut for the club and they've got the combos there. I think that they're sort of sitting on these players in terms of just trying to get them ready for the big time. And once they are ready, we're going to see the Bulldogs make the top four quite consistently. This is a traditional rugby league heartland. Um, and, yeah, you know, let's not beat around the bush. Lebos love rugby league. Once once they start hitting their straps, watch the Bulldogs fans come out of nowhere. It's been a tough decade for them, really. 
but they um yeah they'll be back love it rugby league therapy's own guru there some great commentary uh, which brings us to everyone's favourite segment, Rugby League Mastermind. All right, let's see if Luke can continue his form. Uh, last time round, you got the uh, you got the answer in six questions, gaining a haul of four points. Time before that took you a little bit longer. You got only two points there. Uh, for those who are tuning in for the first time. Uh, you know, essentially a slow burn, same as same as the show. So start off with the ten clues. Um, if you get it in the first clue, you get um, all ten points. Get it on the second clue, you get nine points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Only one guess. Uh, if you get it wrong, then you're out. All right, clue number one. Uh, I was born 18th of January, 1979. 1979. Uh, yeah, next. I grew up in the country, New South Wales town of Tamora, with my junior club being the Tamora Dragons. Next. I spent 1996 to 2002 with the Canberra Raiders, where I scored a total of 36 points. Yeah, is that like the Aussie male era? Oh god, this this is gonna do my head next. I then moved to the Roosters, where I only stayed for one season. Two thousand three moved to the Roosters. Next. After leaving the Roosters, I signed for the West Tigers, where I stayed from 2004 to 2011, the longest stint of my career. Got it. Uh, Todd Hayden. Yes. Well done, sir. Five points, your best ball yet. Oh, uh, God. Anyone, uh, yeah. anyone listening? Just, there, you go. Yeah, it's just, oh, I, why did I, to be fair, what, what, I'll come on yours next week. Um, but the what put me off was tomorrow. For some reason, I couldn't get the beautiful side of Trent Barrett out of my head, and it just mind fucked me for a few questions. I couldn't. I couldn't think of any other rugby league player. I'm like, well, Trent Barrett didn't play for the Raiders, and they just couldn't get off that. Um, yeah, Todd Payton wasn't he a glamour? Yes, he was. I think he wore those blue thigh pads from memory, <laughs> yes. bringing it back. <laughs> um, other clues for anyone out there listening. I scored the final try of the NRL Grand Final uh, in 2005. I only ever played in the front row and second row. I made my NRL head coaching debut in 2020. I've coached both the New Zealand Warriors and the North Queensland Cowboys. My first name is Todd. Uh, so clue number five, your best result yet. Well done. Cheers, bro. I'll, I'll come. Yeah, I'll, I'll need to do your next two. Is that correct? All right. And to round out the episode with our final topic, uh, let's just preview the couple of well, a few upcoming games uh, this weekend uh, in the international uh, domain. So we've got the big one. Uh, I think this is probably up there equal to Australia versus England, but probably more competitive than Australia versus England, dare I say. Hey, sorry if any Pommies are out there listening. Is it? myself i can say 
we've got the Kangaroos taking on the Kiwis in Melbourne. Um, I guess the obvious question is, do you give New Zealand a chance? Huge chance. Um, I like their combinations more, if I'm being honest. I really think that, you know, Dylan Brown, he looks real good. I know he had some off-field issues in the season, but for some reason it's coming good for him now. Um, yeah, I, I actually – I'm picking the Kiwis for this one. Wow. Well, I'm – I've been burnt too many times um, by wanting to see an upset. So I'm going to say conservative with this one and say kangaroos. But I can also see an, an upset. And I think they'll be burning from that game, the semi-final of the World Cup last year. For me, that was more lost by England than won by Australia. Uh, when Cam Murray went over and and um, the cheese uh, was just exhausted and, and Nelson the Solomona struggling to reach down from the heights of near seven foot. That was what broke the hearts of the team then. But they were in control up until that moment. So they want some revenge. So I can see it happening. Uh, I'll be conservative though and say the Kangaroos, but love, love the ball, pick the Kiwis. Love it. Uh, the other game in the men's on the men's side uh, of the Pacific Championship is the Papua New Guinea Kumuls versus the Fiji party. So quite frankly, this is the same kind of game um, on the Pacific Bowl side. It's the, the two that could win the competition and the two that probably play each other again in the final. The PNG versus Fiji. Who have you got for this one? Um, oh, I think PNG should have it. Uh, I've got Papua New Guinea and I'm going to go Papua New Guinea by 20. So I'm going to be bold in my prediction, yeah. Uh, next one, England versus Tonga. Uh, game two of the three-game tournament. I oh, will watch this one, actually. I know it's a bit silly that we're in a rugby league podcast. I didn't sit down and watch this one. But, yeah, I actually think Tonga will win. Just reading the comments and stuff, you know, let's be honest, coming over from, from, from the south, more Southern Hemisphere to England. Takes a little bit of time to readjust. The English boys have just literally finished their season. So um, as opposed to players like Katoa haven't played in weeks. So I think Tonga will bounce back. Yeah, I'm actually inclined to agree. I think that um, it was always going to be tough for Tonga to win that first game. And the fact they only lost it by four points and they would have learned a hell of a lot about playing in the north of England. Um, I'm going to go Tonga for the win. And it's going to set up a really... It's gonna, this is a really quality tournament. I'm loving it. Terrible time to watch it. Um, 12.45 a.m. here in Sydney on a Sunday night slash Monday morning. Um, oh, God. It's going to work the next day, mate. But um, anyway, look, uh, I will go with Tonga as well, which seems like a natural place to leave the podcast. So thank you for anyone out there listening. And as always, we will see you on the other side.